stands on golden sand and watches the ships that go sail. All right, we are back. On this program, we have courageously advocated the use of butter in the past. Because in my opinion, there's nothing in margarine that's any healthier than butter. And if you think differently, please send us an email and we'll read it on the air at info at radioparallax.com. Uh, the truth is, we are again now returning to Uncle John's absolutely absorbing bathroom reader. The truth about margarine is that uh, it goes back to the late 1860s. Oleomargarine was a word coined by the French chemist Hippolyte Mejmurier. The price of butter, the price of butter had soared at that time, so Napoleon III, expecting shortages because of the anticipated war with Prussia, offered a prize at the Paris World Ex- Exhibition in 1866 to anyone who came up with a cheap, plentiful butter substitute. Mej Morier did some research and discovered that even starving cows give milk containing butter fat. Since the fat isn't coming from their food, he reasoned it must be coming from the cows themselves. Deciding it must be possible to do the same thing mechanically, he invented a process to render oil from beef fat and combine the oil with milk to form a butter-like spread. He won Napoleon's prize, but lost the first marketplace skirmish after its margarine factory opened in 1873 uh, because peace unexpectedly broke out, ruined the market for his butter substitute. I don't recommend you eat lots and lots of butter, but you know, if you're going to eat a little bit of uh, a fatty substance on whatever or, you know, cook your eggs in it or, you know, just, just, just use the butter, okay? It tastes much better and I think it probably in the end really is bit better for you. There's not these trans fatty acids, but anyway, um, it's Thanksgiving. Indulge a little. And indulging themselves last weekend were a couple of friends of mine who decided to finally go ahead and tie the knot. Uh, you know who you are. We, we salute you. As you embark upon that sometimes stormy sea of marriage, um, I think we quoted George Burns on the show some time back, but it's such a good quote, I have to use it again today. George Burns, I was married by a judge. I should have asked for a jury. <laughs> we'll su- supplement that with another classical American icon, Zsa Zsa Gabor, who said, Husbands are like fires. They go out, if unattended. <laughs> Let's do some quotes from uh, that great American standard, uh, you know, as we explore the English language. Mark Twain, who better? Quotes from America's great humorist, courtesy of Uncle John. Mark Twain, it's easier to stay out than to get out. Boy, that's one for the Bush administration. Um, Mark Twain, if you pick up a starving dog and make him prosperous, he will not bite you. It is the principal difference between a dog and a man. <laughs> Twain, good breeding consists in concealing how much we think of ourselves and how little we think of the other person. Let us endeavor to live so that when we die, even the undertaker will be sorry. And Mark Twain, whenever you find you are on the side of the majority, it is time to pause and reflect. And a few sports quotes are always good to brighten up a a Thanksgiving holiday, I think. Um, 
We're also using Uncle John's. In this case, it's the Extra Strength Bathroom Reader. Now, I really, this is something you want to consider for, uh, you know, for those gifts you need to get for family members. These, these are these are good to have in the John. I think that uh, you know everybody out there might enjoy some of this information. All right, a couple quotes here. Outfielder Devon White commented after fans booed him for dropping fly, a fly ball. I look up in the stands and I see them miss balls too. Well, yeah, Devon. Anybody remember outfielder Kevin Mitchell used to play for the Giants? <laughs> he was asked at one at some point why he eats Vicks Vapo Rub, to which he responded, "My grandmother told me it was good for colds." Now, uh, actually, a, a local physician friend of mine had something to do with the Giants organization back in the Kevin uh, Kevin Mitchell days, and I can't repeat some of what he said to me at one point. But you know what? I have complete put complete faith in the vapor rub story. Uh, now, you know D- George Steinbrenner is kind of famous for being not such a nice guy, but at one point he did say about I guess one of his pitchers, his ace pitcher, David Cohn. David Cohn is in a class by himself. Unfortunately, he then added, with three or four other players. You know, couldn't he have just stopped? (laughs) Because, you know, I have heard it said about Radio Parallax here in the KDVS lineup that we are in a class by ourselves, along with three or four others. And we talked on last week's show a bit about China, about the fact that Walmart and other giants are basically just, you know, uh, shipping all labor apparently over to China where you can get people to work for $2 a day in a uh, under a Chinese communist regime that basically doesn't allow a whole lot of labor rights. But uh, we're going to give that a rest today. However, I did want to quote Mao Jinyo, a grandson of Mao Zedong, when he said, I don't have the brains for business. I want to go into politics. And uh, Senator Jesse Helms at one point said, democracy used to be a good thing, but now it has gotten into the wrong hands. Well, I'd say Jesse and the rest of the GOP has certainly taken care of that. And of course, uh, science and politics have been much in the news of late. We would like to quote Representative Hunt Downer, Democrat from Louisiana, when he said, I don't see why the legislature should be in the business of artificial intelligence, real intelligence, or any intelligence at all. (laughs) And apparently sometime back, uh, one of our state senators right here in California, Republican State Senator Bill Craven, commented on our state initiatives by saying, if we don't watch our representative tape, if we don't watch our respective tails, the people are going to be running the government. (laughs) Now, now, now correct me if if I'm wrong, Senator Craven, but... I thought that was the whole idea. You know, whoops, it it does appear I missed one from the jocks category. Shaquille O'Neal commented on Dennis Rodman's acting ability by saying, if he was on fire, he couldn't act as if he were burning. And speaking of actors, let's take a minute or two to take a look at a little uh, little item from uh, Uncle John about uh, our governor. Apparently, um... There's more to the story that we probably most of us have heard about uh, the legendary flop, Last Action Hero. Apparently what happened with this movie 
was that in 1991, two recent graduates of Wesleyan University, Zach Penn and Adam Left, wrote a script called Extremely Violent, about a troubled boy who goes to adventure movies to escape his problems and one day finds himself in the middle of a film starring his favorite action hero. Their friends in the lower ranks of show business helped promote it, and uh, apparently the script landed them uh, with an agent. And suddenly it became a priority event movie for Columbia Pictures. Enter Arnold Schwarzenegger. Fresh from the success of Total Recall and Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Arnold was the world's biggest movie star in 1992. At Columbia's urging, he read the script and he liked it. He agreed to do the film as long as there were some changes. And what Arnold wanted, Arnold got. He was considered bulletproof in the industry because everything he was touching was turning to money. So the studio eagerly had the script redone by new writers who gutted it beyond recognition. Under Arnold's direction, they turned what had been a promising script into Last Action Hero, the Schwarzenegger vehicle that made it onto the screen. In the process, the script was apparently so thoroughly reworked that Penn and Leff lost their screenwriting credit. They are credited only with developing the story. Now, apparently Arnold got to act as a producer on this production and uh, set to work giving the film his own personal touches. Um, he assumed a greater degree of creative control than he'd been uh, used to in any other film. was quoted as saying, Before, I'd always felt a little bit like I was butting in. I always felt like I was stepping over the line. Well, not this time, because uh, Arnold was in the driver's seat. Uncle John's editors quote Nancy Griffin and Kim Masters writing in Hit and Run as follows. Acting as a producer for the first time in his career, Schwarzenegger operated like a field marshal out of his 40-foot trailer on the Sony lot. Equipped with a special telephone that allowed him to punch directly into the studio offices, he would summon executives who would immediately be seen streaking out of their offices and tearing across the lot to Camp Arnold. Arnold calling the shots pumped the, the cost of the movie from $65 million to $120 million, making it the most expensive film ever made at the time. Apparently on May 1st, 1993, a rough cut of the film was shown to a test audience. The, uh, the audience roared with approval when they were told they were there to watch Arnold Schwarzenegger's latest movie. But apparently as the film progressed, the excitement degenerated into boredom. <laughs> By the end of the film, the audience was described as almost catatonic. And the studio executives, including Arnold, who was present, looked like a group of people who had just gotten on a ship and saw the name Poseidon. Now, normally a studio hands out to audience survey cards, but apparently at this debut, they were not interested in how many people rated the film good or excellent. Uh, they just simply fed the cards unread into a paper shredder. The film wasn't a complete disaster at the box office, but its estimated losses are still $35 million. Arnold has now moved on from uh, producing and directing cinematic efforts to directing the state government of California. All right, Jay Leno loves to do the classifieds. We love the classifieds, too. These apparently were uh, clipped out of America's newspapers and uh, assembled into one pile here, including the following. For sale. Snowblower for sale. Only used on snowy days. <laughs> Free puppies. Part German Shepherd, part dog. <laughs> I 
I think some people need some help in the marketing if they're going to put classified ads in the paper. For example, 83 Toyota Hunchback, $2,000. Or how about free Yorkshire Terrier, eight years old, unpleasant little dog. Or how about this one? Nordic Track, $300, hardly used, call Chubby. And this may need some marketing help. Open House, Body Shapers Toning Salon, free coffee and donuts. <laughs> and I hope you didn't fall for this one. Publicize your business, absolutely free. Send $6. And you got to be careful how you word these things. Like you don't want to necessarily put lost, small apricot poodle, reward, neutered, like one of the family. <laughs> All right. Uh, and of course, we love every week the good week for bad week section of the week magazine, and, and, and they didn't let us down this week either. Uh, this was considered to be a good week for mysterious ways. When a 10-year-old grilled cheese sandwich that appears to bear an image of the Virgin Mary drew bids of up to $22,000 on eBay. It's a perfect segue, though, to uh, Uncle John's legendary lost bathroom reader, which has a whole section on this. Uh, apparently, in September of 1993, in Brownsville, Texas, a man looked out the window of his house and saw a crowd of people pointing at the dusty hood of his 1981 Camaro. He went outside and asked what they were doing and was told jubilantly that the Blessed Virgin had appeared in a dirt stain on the hood. <laughs> to get rid of the throng, the man washed his car, but the image reappeared, and so did crowds. We've heard the people were coming by to see the image won't let the owner move his car, a Brownsville police dispatcher told reporters. A church spokesperson told reporters, if it leads people to prayer, that's good in itself. Apparently just three years before that, in Progresso, Texas, the owner of the Progresso Auto Supply announced that the Virgin Mary had appeared in the concrete floor of the men's room shower. Within two weeks, more than a thousand people a day were visiting the restroom to weep and pray. Unfortunately, few, if any, bought auto parts. And you know, people, this kind of thing can really get out of hand. I realize that in America there seems to be a turning to religion. But apparently in 1992, in Marlboro, New Jersey, citizen Joseph Januskiewicz told the world that the Virgin Mary had appeared to him in his backyard on the first Sunday of each month and would keep doing so. Well... Subsequently, the monthly visits attracted as many as 10,000 of the faithful to Marlboro, which has a population of only 28,000, costing the town as much as $21,000 in police patrols and sanitation overtime per visit. By September 25, 1992, the health department ordered Janskowitz to install 10 portable toilets on his property to meet his pilgrims' non-spiritual needs. Health officials took the action after receiving vivid accounts of people defecating in the woods and bushes. All right, at this point in time, I wanted to comment on an article uh, I saw in the San Francisco Chronicle on November 5th. Researchers buzzing about marijuana-derived medicines. 
Cannabinoids may help against many diseases. To help us explore the issue of uh, what they're finding out about cannabinoids, I think we ought to go up to our pharmacologic expert, Dr. Howard McKinney, who's now here with us. Dr. McKinney, welcome. Good evening. How are you? Uh, we're well. Now, I guess you're somewhat familiar with this issue about marijuana-derived medicines. Big news? Uh, this has a long history going back thousands of years, actually. Well, marijuana does. <laughs> and the use of the plant and plant products as medicines. Fair enough. It goes back to Chinese medicine, Chinese traditional medicine. There's certainly Mesoamerican references to the plant, uh, Indian subcontinent references to the plant, but... Needless to say, there's a, a rich history with uh, drugs derived from the marijuana plant and its various derivatives. What, let's draw a comparison here. Uh, to my mind, this new, uh, this sort of breakthrough is analogous to what happened about 30 years ago when after hundreds of years of using uh, opium and opiates, maybe thousands of years of using uh, opium, uh, we finally figured out how they worked. And it seems as though we've been using marijuana for a long, long time as a medicine, and they've now finally had a breakthrough to figure out what's going on. That's true. And this, of course, is part of the petulance and uh, conceit of Western science, which is fine. <laughs> but uh, as long as indigenous populations are using whole plant products and various modes of self-administration, it kind of doesn't count, you know? Uh -huh. But as soon as we can actually identify some chemical constituents and give them long and unpronounceable names <laughs> and uh, identify receptors in the brain and body and synthesize not only uh, endogenous ligands that will attach to those receptors but also receptor antagonists, then we start to have more of the toys that pharmacologists can play with and when they can put all these fancy names on the receptors and the various neurophysiologic systems in the human body, then it gains legitimacy. Right. And then it's earned your respect. Yeah. <laughs> but not until then. Until then, they get no respect, you know? Well, we don't have time to talk about this in great detail today. I hope you'll come back and do that in a future day. But sure. what, what I'm gathering from this that's kind of blowing my mind is how basic the cannabinoid system turns out to be in, in and how... Uh, how animals, uh, how the nervous system, and how other parts of the body work. Apparently, starfish and even very primitive animals utilize this same system. Quite possibly. Uh, I will be the first to confess that I have not read the article that you alluded to, so yeah. I'm, I'm not sure what the inciting event was that prompted the publication of that uh, particular newspaper article. However, just a very quick fast-forward is starting in the late 60s and early 70s, there was the observation of a number of potential medicinal uses of marijuana, probably the most famous of which is the various cancer patients who were found to suddenly be able to tolerate their nausea and vomiting-causing cancer drugs, mm -hmm. and when questioned, it was found that they were smoking marijuana, and that was alleviating the nausea and vomiting. Mm -hmm. Since then, and going on to this day, there's been a sort of low-level interest. Uh, it's not a real dramatic uh, batch of medicines that have been derived here, but it's used as an anti-nausea agent, use in wasting syndromes associated with AIDS, use in glaucoma, epilepsy, multiple sclerosis, various and sundry spasticity syndromes with paraplegia and quadriplegics, pain syndromes, migraine, menstrual cramps, and asthma, among other things. When you couple that with the increased understanding of the neuropharmacology of the cannabinoids, the drugs, the molecules derived from the plant, 
uh, it seems to have sort of reached a critical mass in the late 90s, and research is very active now into these derivatives to try to figure out what they're doing and what we can do with them. Well, it seems as though that the sky's the limit at this point. Absolutely. Well, Dr. McKinney, we really should explore this at some depth. We don't have time today, but in the next few weeks, will you come back and see if we can't do that? Sure, that would be fun. All righty. Dr. Howard McKinney is with the Department of Pharmacy at the UC Davis Medical Center in Sacramento. Always enjoy speaking with Dr. Howard McKinney, and he will be back. Let's take another break. You're listening to Radio Parallax on KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. And I'm your host, Douglas Everett.